This week on Daiwa, we're discussing Audubon County. An old farmer is drug out of bed and hung by three masked men. Welcome to Daiwa, the first Iowa-focused true crime podcast, where there's 99 counties and a murder in every one. These are your hosts, Beth LaVallee and Allie Tulin. All right, Beth, Audubon County this week. It is home to a very famous roadside attraction. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm not even going to answer this. I'm just going to let everyone know that this document... Your next bullet point says express disappointment, <laughs> which means you knew I wasn't going to know it. I knew. And it's true. I don't know it. <laughs> oh, good times. Well, I am referring to Albert the Bull. Albert is a giant bull statue that sits in the town of Audubon in Audubon County, and he weighs 45 tons and is made mostly out of concrete. But the backstory is that in the early 1950s, cattle were shipped to markets like Chicago by the railroad, and local shippers decided to invite Albert or Al Cruz of First State Bank, now Audubon State Bank, to ride with them. But he declined after hearing from others that it was an uncomfortable ride and it could be cold in late fall or an early winter day. But anyway, Al told them if and when they had a Pullman car available on the cattle train, he would be happy to accompany them to the Chicago market. So eventually, arrangements were made for the Pullman car, and soon a trainload of cattle and the car, full of shippers and businessmen, were signed up for the trip to Chicago, and it was called Operation T-Bone, and it was first celebrated in 1951. (laughs) So Albert the Bull was made in 1965, and it was named after Al, that former banker in town who organized the first Operation T-Bone. It's now said that 20,000 people visit Albert the Bull every year. It is kind of mean that they called it Operation (laughs) T-Bone. Right? A little bit. But wow, what a fun story. Yeah. So I know you've also been to another less famous attraction in the area that I researched. Oh yeah, good one. So the town of Kimbleton in Audubon County is home to a mermaid. (laughs) That is, they have a statue of the Little Mermaid in their Hans Christian Andersen statue garden that replicates the statue found in the Copenhagen Harbor. And if you didn't know, Hans Christian Andersen is a Danish author who wrote The Little Mermaid. Kimbleton actually has or had a large Dutch population, hence the tribute. I also want people to know that we just were talking about Hayden Christensen and I definitely called him Hayden Christian Andersen. The story is on my mind. (laughs) And then to add to your fun fact, I also just wanted to bring up, I love that The Little Mermaid is actually a lot darker than the Disney version. Like in the original Hans Christian Andersen version, she dies. The mermaid dies and turns into seafoam. Oh my god. I mean, it doesn't surprise me because Ursula is like the scariest villain of all time. (laughs) Like she could kill a mermaid. Wouldn't be shocked. Also, going to continue talking about this. So, like, Cinderella and, you know, the author that originally wrote Cinderella and a bunch of those fairy tales? The Grimm Brothers? Is that right? Yes. So that's totally different than Hans Christian Andersen. I think so. It's weird that all of these fairy tales were, like, originally a lot darker. And (laughs) is that just coincidence or, like... I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Anyways. Time to get to the murder. The year is 1884... 
always exciting when we're (laughs) pre-1900s. Sorry. Chester Arthur is president. The Washington Monument was completed in D.C. And Mark Twain wrote The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Classics. And in the town of Audubon, Iowa, an old farmer named Hiram Jellerson is in bed sleeping next to his wife. It's April. Tw- I can't get over the name. Sorry. <laughs> you wouldn't name your firstborn Hiram. <laughs> I don't think so. Not if my last name was Jellerson. It's rough. <laughs> All right. Well, it's April 26th of 1884, and around 2 a.m., three horsemen ride up to Hiram's house. The three men who rode up were wearing masks and enter Hiram's house. Hiram's wife, Adeline, wakes up and asks the men what they want. They respond for her to keep still. Then Hiram asked. What are you here for, Cicero? And the wife says, No, that's Smith. They never got a reply from any of the men. Instead, the men tied up Hiram and drug him out of his bed. They put a shirt over his head and tied a rope around his neck before dragging him 340 feet to a maple tree in the front yard. They threw the rope over a tree limb about 8 feet off the ground and started to draw Hiram up. They then left him hanging there as they got back on their horses and rode away. As Hiram's wife, Adeline, heard the horses leave, she ran to the nearest neighbors, the Petties. When the sun rose, Petty went next door to the Jellerson's farm to see Hiram hanging from the maple tree. When the town got word of what had happened, everyone was shocked. They said it was a murder without a motive. Hiram was respected in the community, and no one could understand why he was murdered. Here's a little background on Hiram. Hiram was born in Maine around 1830, but then moved around and eventually ended up in Audubon, Iowa to farm. Hiram and his wife, Adeline, had six kids, one boy, and five girls. And in 1884, Hiram was said to be old and crippled. It was also said he was not well mentally, but he was described as fair and kind to all. Hiram and Adeline were living alone on the farm at the time of his murder. Hiram and Adeline's daughter, Minnie, had married John Smith. Smith was described as a rough, drinking character. He seemed to always be asking Hiram for money, and for a while, Hiram gave it to him. But when he found out he was spending it at a bar, he told Smith he wouldn't get another cent. Smith didn't like this. He started a campaign to silence Hiram, first by threatening the lives of his entire family, and then by forging Hiram's name on bank drafts and credit notes. Another source claims that Smith had accused Hiram of incest with one of his daughters. And when Smith moved to Carroll, Iowa, he persuaded Hiram's son, Cicero, and daughter Lucy and her husband, Joel Wilson, to join him and his wife. Hiram was finding it hard to make a living. He was crippled, old, and had Smith's debts to pay off. So he rebelled. Hiram met up with Smith and Audubon a few days before he was murdered, and he told Smith, quote, You've bled me long enough, John Smith. You've broke me, turned my daughter against me and my son, and I've never done you any harm. But I'm going to. I'm turning you over to the sheriff. Mark my words. Sheriff Henry Herbert was working Hiram's case. He found three damning clues at the scene of the crime. The first being an overcoat button that had been torn as Hiram fought off his attackers. Second, he found a cap. And third, a handkerchief mask worn by one of the men. As soon as Sheriff Herbert saw the cap, he asked or stated, Isn't this John Smith's cap? Hiram's wife, Adeline, responded, yes, I think it is, and went on to tell the sheriff how Smith had taken her son Cicero and convinced him that his father was terrible and taught him to drink and gamble. When Sheriff Herbert was done, 
he and his deputy got on their horses and rode 23 miles to Carroll in the rain. They stopped and got off at John Smith's farmhouse. Sheriff Herbert arrested John Smith and made sure to grab the pistol from his pocket. The next morning, he rode over to Joel Wilson's farm where Cicero answered the door. The sheriff then spotted two overcoats hanging by the doorway, one with a missing button. He ordered Cicero to put on the coat, but Cicero told the sheriff it was Joel Wilson's coat. The sheriff responded and told Cicero that he was under arrest and that his father had been murdered. As the sheriff rode the two suspects into town, they were greeted by a mob of 500 people. The mob joined Hiram's funeral procession along with the third suspect, Joel Wilson. After the service, Sheriff Herbert arrested Wilson and placed him in the jail with Cicero and Smith. The three men were all charged with the murder of Hiram Jellerson. Smith and Wilson waived the grand jury, and Cicero was given a preliminary hearing. When Cicero took the stand, his mother stood before him and said, Son, if you helped to do this horrible thing to your father, tell the truth. Cicero responded, I aim to tell. We hung Paul, right? Wilson and Smith and me. Cicero added that Wilson was the ringleader and he and Smith had forced Cicero to help. They had said that they would hang him if he didn't help. He added they left Carroll County after dark, hung paw in a hurry, and got back before sunrise. I like that you added a little drawl to that. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> we mentioned earlier that a source acclaimed Smith spread a rumor accusing Hiram of incest with one of his daughters. Well, during testimony, the story came out more clearly. Three years before the murder, the story that Hiram had taken advantage of his daughter Lucy, who was now married to Joel Wilson, was spread in order to ruin his reputation. But the story was proved to be false. Smith and Wilson moved to change their trial due to prejudice. On February 4th, 1885, a judge sustained the motion for a change of venue and the case was sent to Cass County. This news spread quickly, and the citizens of Audubon County were not satisfied with this ruling. On the night of February 4th, over 200 to maybe 500 night riders appeared in Audubon. Some blocked the roads as the majority showed up at the jail. Sheriff Herbert, who had been sleeping above the jail, opened the windows to ask what was going on and if the men realized they were breaking the law. The mob responded that they were the law. And broke it. <laughs> the mob found Wilson and Smith ready with reported bricks, brooms, or chairs to attack. But the mob had brought revolvers. They shot both Smith and Wilson, but before they could die, they tied them together and hung them on different sides so that the weight of one was strangling the other. Cicero was led to the bandstand at the center of the town square. He was hung there. We found that Adeline Jellerson died in 1906 in Parkerville, Kansas, at the home of one of her daughters. She was 77 at the time of her death. In 1949, there was an interview with the Audubon County bailiff, Alex Ferguson. He said in all of his 40 years, he had never seen a murder trial in Audubon County. But he was old enough to remember a time when three men died without the benefit of a trial. He recalled, quote, one evening, Uncle Dan came home and said there was going to be a necktie party in town the next day. Early the next morning, I went into Audubon on horseback, but by the time I had got into town, they had been hanged. Wow, a necktie party. Didn't know well, that was a thing. nope. We've got plenty of questions for Taps, so I am ready to call him. Are you? Let's give him a call.
welcome, Tabs, Hello. to this episode. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Have you been to Ottoman County? Many, 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 many times. Oh, man. Could Give you say it's facts. your favorite county? <laughs> yeah. No, it's not my favorite county, but I've been there many times. Uh, Albert the Bull is a favorite. Sure. We just chatted in, about Albert. In Ottoman. And at one time, the best tenderloin in Iowa was at Daryl's, which is just south of Ottoman in Hamlin, Iowa. I do not think that's the best tenderloin anymore. No, I don't think it is either, but it was at one time. <laughs> hmm. What I'm is now, Ben? You know, I don't know, but that didn't ring a bell. And I, I do keep up with that story. So. Oh, <laughs> Love it. All right. What do you think the motive in this case was? I think it could have either been spite or vengeance from being cut off of money or trying to hide or camouflage uh, the acts of the kids versus their father. Interesting. Okay. In an earlier episode, we learned about your love for horses. Yes. I'm not a huge horse guy. Um, (laughs) I used to say, and there will be many people offended by this, that they're the dumbest animal on the farm. I always thought the hogs could outthink them two to one, but yes, I am not. We did have a horse when I was a kid and I was not a huge fan. Well, if you think about it, like they are the only farm animal that has allowed humans to ride them. Why? Well, I, you know, I'd have to take a little bit of dispute on that because we rode hogs and we rode cows. No and, way. Oh yeah. And much to the chagrin of my grandfather who said we were running money off of those animals, but we oh tried gosh. to ride lots of stuff when we were kids. <laughs> um, anyways, do you think you'd ever ride 23 miles on horseback to solve a case? I can't imagine. <laughs> I would have been a terrible cop cowboy. <laughs> what if that was your only option? Well, I suppose if I grew up in 1885 or whatever, I, that probably would have been an option. You'd ride uh, a pig. Yes. (laughs) Pigs don't go that fast. That's the unfortunate part of that. Oh gosh, boy. All right. Well, do you believe all three were guilty? All three of the the two son-in-laws and the son? I don't know if there's enough information to say that they were all guilty It appears at first blush that they were complicit somehow in this whole ordeal. It did sound like the one son may have had, was at least more guilty than the others, had more culpability, if you will. In your opinion, could Hiram have sued his son-in-law for slander for saying that he had the whole incest issue with his daughter? That's uh, slander and libel are both very difficult cases to prove, but they, they can be proven. And I would guess that speaking ill in town that your father had ancestrally assaulted your sister or whatever would give you as good a grounds as just about anything because it would definitely ruin your reputation and especially in the 1880s I would think it would it would cause you so much harm that it would be difficult to live the rest of your life. Do you know if they had slander laws in the 1880s? Yeah slander and libel are both from the old English law. So they've been around for years. They're just, they're very difficult to prove and they become more difficult in the age of social media and media celebrities and things like that, where if you're a public person, you're not given the protection that you would if you were a private person. Mm -hmm. So Beth and I are screwed. You're fine. (laughs) Yes, that's that's true. (laughs) We've become too famous. (laughs) Uh, What do you think the punishments for the son-in-laws and son would have been if they saw a trial? 
Well, I mean, obviously, if they killed him and, you know, murder back then in Iowa would have been hung, uh, but it would have been done by the, you know, the state penitentiary and the law enforcement officials, not by anybody else. And what do you think a sheriff could even do in the situation where these night riders come in and, and there's a mob of 500 people taking justice into their hands? It had been difficult. I will share a story with you that happened in Omaha in, I believe, 1913, where a uh, African-American was accused of... Time out. I, I think we've heard this story before. We have? Yeah, the Henry Fonda one. He watched the mob. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. sorry. Sorry. But anyway, that guy, I mean, the sheriff could, couldn't hold him back. Right. That's the story. I, I, how would one man hold back a mob of people? I just don't know how it's possible. Are you saying okay. I have Alzheimer's and I'm telling the same story over and over? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's been a while since season one. Give them a break, Allie. <laughs> um, any recommendations for if a family member is harassing and threatening you? Those are difficult cases also because uh, you're balancing the familial relationship with, you know, whether to do tough love and call the police or whatever. There's always an interesting little tidbit that floats around that the person most likely to kill you is probably laying right next to you or in the same house. So obviously if people have those kind of family strains, they need to reach out for help sooner than later because they tend to turn violent. Any final thoughts on Audubon County? It, it shows the problems with vigilantism and considering the light of recent circumstances, it should give everybody pause on why vigilantism is a bad thing and why we don't allow it in this country. When we have people taking up arms to allegedly protect or do justice to people, innocent people are killed or maligned or other bad things. So it's just bizarre that we're talking about a case 130 or 140 years ago that has very relevant facts to today's life. For sure. Very good points. I was going to ask you a fun question, but now I forget. Oh, my fun question for you was, since you've been to Audubon County so much, have you been to their bandstand? Did you feel a presence? I never feel presences. Um, I think there is a bandstand in that Albert the Bull Park, but I don't know if I've been in it. Because that's on the south side of town, and the courthouse is more in the center part of town. So I would guess the bandstand used to be up on the Main Street area. We'll have to look into it. Wait, I, you don't ever feel presences? You don't believe in no. ghosts? No. What did you think of our demon story? Um, Do you believe in it? No, I homeboy ain't buying that. What? <laughs> Wild. Never thought it would happen. No, I don't buy it. I think it was all a bunch of uh, whatever. It's for people like Allie to buy stuff like that. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, let's well, see up. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Oh, hello there. As a marketer, I hate promotions like this. Same and same. But I love content. Me too. So if you like our content, give us a like, follow, share, subscribe, note, fax, literally anything you think would help us continue making Daiwa a success. Thank you, thank you, thank you.